I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Light and Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online training platform that makes cycling fun. Here with Benji for the Paranese Terreno Adriatico Saturday, Queen Stage double header. Paranis stage seven first. It's the only mountaintop finish of this race at a couple of sleepy stages, but this one finishes on Torini. We knew we'd have a shootout. 156 Ks, one warm-up climb, but everyone should have domestiques ready at the base for the 15.2 Ks, 7.2% of Torini. We have the last four Ks at about eight. So differences could be made on this climb. It's well over 20 minutes long. And yeah, Primoz Roglic having to defend the yellow jersey. We had, who we have in the breakaway, Benji? Did Godu get in the break and then get dropped out of the break? Well, before we get to that point, I want to talk about who tried to go in the breakaway initially in the stage and Wout Fanat tried to attack. Oh, really? Uh, Early on in the first 20 kilometers of the stage, was gone for like four kilometers trying to chase down group one and was unable to catch and then was caught by the peloton. So that was intriguing. I'm not sure why, but it happened. Now, when it comes to Jumbo Visma, Tönnesen did not start today to prep for his classics to make sure, I don't know, I don't know the specific reason, but it was uh, said that he didn't start together with some other riders like Jeunets. But the story about Jeunets, Kevin Jeunets is actually quite, uh, well, I wouldn't say interesting because it's bad, but he was moving with his bike before the start towards the starting podium. And one of those like advertisement uh, boards that riders get interviewed for just fell on him. And that's why he's out of the race and injured. So that's a very shitty way to get out of Paranese, in my opinion. And it's unfortunate because he was looking good at Omlope and so forth. So I was hoping to see more of him in the coming Cobble Classics. But like you said, there was a breakaway that went away. Godu was in that breakaway, but I never saw Godu actually in the breakaway when it started mattering. So I guess, like you say, he dropped because he had two teammates there. Uh, I think Pacher and Legac. Next to that, yep. Peterson was in the breakaway for Trek with Bernard. So two riders there. We had three riders from Movistar, Mulberger, Garcia, Cortina, and Torres. I was curious to see what Mulberger was going to do, knowing he had a, a bit of two shitty seasons. And now, potentially, he might be able to get back into form here. Thomas again, Dens, Gaze Bull in the breakaway. No Sonic Granderson to drop him halfway through the stage. Simon Carr, Julius van den Berg, Bonamur, Gujar, Feline, Mullen, and Merku. <laughs> I've been complaining so much about Merku in the breakaway that he decided to make it his life choice to go in the breakaway every day from now on. And uh, this breakaway didn't get the gap they wanted, I think, because the peloton started chasing him down. And Ineos was one of the teams that actually controlled the breakaway quite a bit during the stage. Yambo as well. Uh, but it was mainly Luke Rowe, I think, during this stage. Are you surprised that the likes of uh, Luke Rowe is doing stuff like that? Not really. I mean, Ineos are the ones that need to upset the apple cart here on this stage. They've got Adam Yates at 111, Danny Martinez at 56 seconds off Roglic. It's really up to them to to try and attack Roglic if they want to win GC here. But taking a minute on this climb is... 
it's a big ask um, and going through the stage even is hard. But even moving Martinez up from fourth to second or Yates from sixth to third, I think it's their responsibility to pace. Latour is just protecting. He was in third on GC, not the best climber, and Vlasov can't climb over 20 minutes. So, yeah, it's on them. Um, uh, yeah, or, or bike exchange. But did, did bike exchange really bring the team here, Benji, to do anything? Not really. Ah, not necessarily, I dare to say. Lucas Hamilton. There's a few riders in there that are part of that sprint train of Grunewagen. Grunewagen's out already, for example. And looking at the rest of the teams, then Arkea is the one that might spice some things up on the final climb. And they started doing that at the bottom of the final climb. We saw that Jumbo was at the front of the peloton going into the Col de Turini. This was with about, what is it, 18k, this climb, 16k, something like that. And at the bottom, we see Wout van Aert at the front in like third wheel. One Arkea rider at the front. I'm actually not sure which one it was that was pacing at that point in the race. But he was putting quite some pressure and it took about two minutes before Wout van Aert was off the back. I know, he self-dropped again, protecting himself. And Ineos really looked a bit toothless outside of their leaders, like Freyla, Hayter, Dylan van Baal, Amador. These guys couldn't really set any hard pace. It was all down to Arkea, um, which is surprising. And we're seeing something even similar at Torreno. So, yeah, like, I, honestly, I expected Freyla to be able to really reduce a group Benji he was good in the tour last year and yeah I'm just just surprised but it was really okay setting it up but it was Adam Yates going first attacking that group I think this makes a lot of sense because really Roglic has to close it like Nairo won't Simon Yates won't they're twins and yeah it's so far out that Roglic has to close it did you agree with the way (laughs) Or did Nairo, did Nairo attack and try and bridge across? Well, at first you were right that Adam Yates was the one that was uh, doing the tempo here and was making sure that he was getting away. He uh, attacked and made that gap. And this was after Kreisbeck already did a bit of a pull and was gone. So like you said, Roglic was basically isolated. Rohan Dennis had done his work and that's when they were dropped. So that Adam Yates attack worked for a bit. Nobody really responded. And it was then actually Roglic that, made a move but we didn't see it because suddenly it got to three riders responding still not with Adam Yates but that was uh Roglic, Quintana and another rider in their wheel. Danny Martinez. Oh yeah Danny Martinez it was you're right correct and those three riders did catch up with Adam Yates again but we know when those three riders are catching up we've got an Ineos rider getting caught, an Ineos rider in the wheel of Roglic, what's going to happen? Rolling over attacks, of course. And Danny Martinez started making a quite a decent dig, I dare to say, that actually put some pressure on the group. And who are the victims of that? Because they were suddenly with two at the front. Roglic snapped close to Martinez. We have Simon Yates then pacing Quintana for the a long, long time. Strong work from Simon Felipe Yates, the documentary on his life apparently being released shortly by Bike Exchange. Adam Yates was on the back of that group. The next group, now group three, was Almeida, Haig being paced by Pools, Vlasov, Maori, Guillaume Martin, Aguirre. So the guys in the 5th to 10th on GC battling it out there. Vlasov looking in trouble. And... Roglic attacking just makes so much sense. If you're isolated and you have a minute buffer, 
The wor- the only way he loses a minute on this climb, and he's not sick, so he's fine. The only way he loses a minute is if he sits up and makes a Perisud Pagacha stage eight tactical mistake, where he's like, "You close it," and then yeah. thirty seconds go, and then they're pacing. And then- but if he just sets his pace for the majority of the climb, gets to the last three k's, he can't lose GC. So that's the way he approached it, and then tactically. Martinez started pulling with him, because yep. which I agree with. Sometimes I'm like, no, make the, you know, sit on finesse. But at the end of the day, Adam Yates was in big difficulty. Martinez is a minute back. He's behind Simon Yates on GC. Why not work with Roglic and offer pulls? And I don't think he was doing a hundred percent of his limit anyway. I agree in that aspect. They want to keep the gap on the riders behind. They want to make sure that the advantage that they gained is not necessarily gone, but they also keep in their mind, oh, this other guy could counter me at any point and therefore drop me. So they're not going to go all out at that point in the race. It's still quite a few kilometers to go. I think four or five at that point in the race. But we started seeing that Simon Yates was single-handedly bringing Quintana back. And Quintana didn't really help Simon Yates much in that, not going to lie. But Simon Yates just kept going and kept going, and they came closer and closer when Martinez and uh, and Roglic started looking at each other a bit, and Adam Yates was already dropped at that point from those two riders chasing, Quintana and Simon Yates. So there was really no point anymore at that point for Martinez to sit up because he was going to get Quintana and Simon Yates with him again. So in the end, those four riders came back together and... Behind the scenes, quite a few riders switched places and so forth. Certain riders started dropped certain riders. UAE was looking bad in the middle of the climb, and then suddenly they started popping up in fifth and uh, seventh position or something on the climb. So that was looking better, but it was all coming down towards that front group now. And who is going to make moves there? That is the real question. Who did you think was going to make moves, and who did it in the end? I thought Nairo would try and counter if he had the legs. It turns out he didn't. He'd been brought back by Simon Felipe Yates. He's so far behind Roglic on GC that if he attacks with 1,500 metres to go or 2Ks to go, I had a feeling Roglic would look at Martinez and Simon Yates to close it because he's not making two minutes back then. But he didn't have the legs and it actually got to the point where, and look out for the article on Monday from me and Raul Bankeri on lanternrouge.com.au about the relegation points battle. It looked like he started riding for about fourth on GC, fifth on GC Naira um, because the group was coming back. Haig always does his set tempo on these climbs, these long climbs. He was coming back. Almeida was coming back. Almeida even nearly got to this group. And... Before we get into the finale, uh, which you know what's coming, I need to remind everybody, next Saturday, Milano-San Remo, first monument of the year, Swift LRCP group ride. We're going to do it before the Chapressa. Make sure you follow Atlantian Roof CP on Twitter for updates and details on timing, and we'll give you a reason to watch along or make Make a positive out of watching Milano Sanremo before the Chipressa. So make sure you join us on Zwift next Saturday for that watch along. Thanks to Zwift for supporting the show. But to answer your question in short, Benji, Roglic was winning. If you go to the final 500 metres of this stage with Roglic, like, if, it's, if there's no pog, there's one winner. Like we don't need us. We've seen it 100 times. Well, not 40 times, not 100 yet. But yeah, that's my short answer, Benji. Like, could, I don't think Yates 
Quintana could really have done anything different. Yates tried two more times to attack, didn't work, and we knew it was coming. Yeah, certainly. I agree on that. There's nothing they could have done necessarily. Uh, Quintana, like you said, started pacing a little bit every single time that he was dropped and then came back for those points, like you mentioned, and it was up to the final 500 meters. And actually, it took longer than I thought it would, because sometimes Roglic last year would make this kind of move his acceleration with about 500 meters to go or 600 or 400 and already make a bit of a gap before the finish line but he seemed to wait a bit longer here and i was waiting i was waiting i was looking at him uh is there a position on the left he could go on the right he could go waiting for the gap to open up but even when the gaps open up he waited until 200 meters to go to really make a kick on the left side of the road he passed everybody went into this uh left steering bend not a steep bend but a one that just goes straight to the finish line and from that point onwards it Instantly looked like a gap opened up behind him and it was a done deal, right? Yep. I'm surprised they even credited Martinez with the same time as him. Yeah. Roglic wins the stage in Roglic style, sprint from 200 out, ahead of Martinez, who was very, very good, has to be said. Simon Yates third on two seconds. Naira won nine seconds. Almeida McNulty 11 and 25. They look good. Haig on 27. Adam Yates dropped after attacking early on 29. Guillaume Martin actually rode the climb very smartly. Did his best job here on ninth, 44 seconds. Moves up on GC. A lot of positions. Pulls 10th. Vlasov on a minute 13. It's just not... You can't compete for GC Grand Tours, losing a minute 13 on this climb. You can't. Like, Haig is what I would say a consistent diesel climber who's never winning these stages. He's on 27. And Flasov, like a minute 13 minute. Like, it's just a 20-minute climbing thing. I was surprised. He loses a lot of a lot of spots. Pierre Latour loses a lot of spots. The revised GC Roglic on 47 seconds out of Simon Yates. Martinez moves into third on one minute. Adam Yates on 150. Um, I'm not surprised by what happened, Benji. I would have been surprised if Roglic got dropped, to be honest. But tomorrow's stage, 115 Ks. The one Roglic lost, Paranese GC on last year. It's just as tricky as ever. Uh, they're doing basically a lap around Nice on these hilly 6K, 7% climbs. They do cold airs, which crests about 16Ks from the finish, 6.1K, 7.6%. I'd like to see Bahrain try well to stage 20 again, Benji. I think it's going to be really hard to do so on this stage. I know that it's got quite some hills to go early, but in all honesty... I've got the feeling that the earliest climb that you can go on seems to be the Côte de Pay, which is with about 60k to go, roughly. Because the ones before, yes, they exist, but are you going to go that early? I'm not so certain about it. Are you going to put people in the breakaway? Ideally, yes, on a stage like this, because it's short and snappy, and therefore having satellite riders up the road can be very handy. But I don't think Haig also wants to ruin it all by going too early. And therefore, if he has a satellite rider up the road, I don't see him attacking. I might not even see him attacking on the Côte de Bay, to be honest. And uh, I think most of the action will be on the Côte d'Ars. I think Bahrain should try something. They've got pulls uh, that can get in the break. He's not a GC threat. He's on 10 minutes. But he's on fine form. He's punchy. Look, he finished this stage in 10th after pacing for Haig. 
I'd get pulls in the break, see if Bahrain can get something going, move Haig up to third on GC, fourth on GC. I don't think Adam Yates... I, I don't see Ineos trying something spectacular here. I might eat my words, Benji, but they kind of look a bit uh, beaten. I'm not sure Frailer's on the best form. I'm actually not as bearish on Frailer as you are. I feel like he's the better one of the rest in the squad. True. Uh, yeah. The ones Amador. I'm disappointed in is Amador because yeah. we haven't seen anything from Amador since the second he went to Ineos. He had some drama coming to Ineos, but that doesn't influence anything too much there. What I'm most intrigued by is the very unimportant battle for the 15th spot between Mauri van Sevenon and Bauke Mollema. <laughs> Dude, what is Mollema doing at this race? Like, I don't know. Um, I'd like to see the Americans in the break again tomorrow. McNulty and Jorgensen. McNulty's legs are outstanding. He'd be a very, very difficult man to beat. It's also a stage Vlasov might try something. I think I think Kofferdus should also be aggressive. I think no. Guillaume Martin, Yoni Zagira is a good descender. Um, I think they should try and move up some spots as well. It's always a stage you have to watch from start to finish. Anything can happen on this stage. It's one of those must-watch stages. I think Wout needs to pick it up tomorrow, Benji. I don't think he should be doing the self-dropping, protecting himself for classics. I think he needs to work as a domestique tomorrow for Primoz. I think so as well. He should be there because it's a dangerous stage compared to this one. On a stage like this, if Wout drops at the start of the final climb, we know that there's just X amount of kilometers that Roglic might be isolated towards the end of the climb. And we know that Roglic is one of the better climbers here, so it would be relatively surprising if he cannot drop at least three of the of the best seven climbers here at this race. And therefore, he can control four riders towards the last three kilometers, as we saw today. Now, if you look at tomorrow's stage, it's much harder when it comes to the tactics that could be used to control it solely alone. Now, I do think that the team he has is better on the parkour of tomorrow than today. Definitely in this race, because we got to keep in mind, because it's not here, Vinga is not here, so the riders that are here are the kind of riders that, on paper, should do better in a uh, medium mountain stage and a proper mountain finish, I'd argue. And if Wout is not helping him tomorrow he could get into trouble at a certain point. We saw last year that he crashed and it led to Sharkman winning the race. And therefore, Outfinard should stay with him because last year he didn't have that flat support between the climbs to keep pacing to make sure the gap opened up by that crash was closed. And it's more as a insurance policy that I put Outfinard with him than necessarily a rider that needs to work hard with him. Exactly. It's just in case something goes wrong. You, you know, David de la Cruz is here. He's on 10, 11th on GC. He won this stage two years in a row back in 1718. Yeah. Yoni Zagira has won this stage before. I think guys are going to try something and you need team guys around you. Dennis has been outstanding, but it can't just be him. And Mike has gone home today, Mike Turnison as well during the stage. So I think Wout needs to be there in case something goes wrong for Primoz. Because, yes, it's a minute. But if shit hits the fan, you can lose a minute very fast. Can't yeah. wait to watch it. I'm picking McNulty from the break. Who are you going okay. with? I'm picking Frank Bonamour of BNB. Oh, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a smart <laughs> pick. He looks so good. All right. That was Paranese Stage 7. It played out the way we, we expected, but enjoyable nonetheless. 
Time for Terreno Adriatico, stage six from Apecchio to Carpegna. It does two laps of the Monte Carpegna climb, which I don't think has a quick race record, but Pantani in training, this is his home area, was his home area, a 6K 10% climb. Apparently has some sort of lethal record on this. But despite it being the queen stage, this long 216K stage finishes with one of the most technical descents in cycling this year. They do it before the last descent as well. So very tricky, steep climb, steep descent. Pogaccio in the ascendancy, I think 10, 12 seconds ahead of Avonapol on GC going into the stage. The others, Vingegaard, Landa, Mass, Port, a fair bit further behind. But had a pretty strong break, Benji, for a man you believe should be going to MSR. Uh, are we talking about Simmons or Aramburu? Because both should be going to MSR. <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. Quinn Simmons was in the breakaway once again after that strong breakaway on the Belante stage a few days ago. We also had a teammate from Alaphilippe, Honoré Konishev for bike exchange. Aramburu with a teammate in his team, Luis Masbonnet. And next to that, Marco Haller buys from Ayolo. And also Benoit Cosnefoy was in the breakaway here as well. Didn't see it though because he was dropped by the time I started watching after the Paris-Nice stage. But we basically uh, knew that the action was about to start when we hit the Carpenia stage. And the break didn't have too much of a gap at that point in the race. We knew that the breakaway would likely be caught. But one of the riders that survived from that breakaway did actually do a decent job, I'd argue. Alaphilippe was not the last rider that left over. He was like third last or fourth last to drop from that group until two riders were left from that breakaway, which included uh, Simmons and Aramburu. Aramburu in the virtual leader jersey at that point in the race, but unfortunately didn't last too long. And um, he dropped a bit later on the Carpeña climb and Simmons was the lone man ahead. But the peloton at that point is where it's at because they were storming towards the wheel of Simmons and were about to catch him on that climb or just after and uh, in the peloton, UAE was the one pacing. And we saw that Micah was already working relatively early on the climb. Like, we know that the Carpinia climb today starts a bit later than the climbing already starts because there's like 5k of decent but not climb climbing yeah. before the Carpinia starts. And then on the Carpinia, we started seeing that the group was already a bit thinned out and UAE was pushing it with Micah, with Poggy in the wheel and a uh, third rider, which was uh, Soler, of course. That was also in that wheel. But very early on, one of the uh, top three in GC started having trouble in the peloton. Remco Evenepoel. Yeah, he got dropped when the group was still 25 men deep, when Micah was just setting a steady pace. This is steep, this climb, 10% average, steeper than that in parts. And yeah, he went, he went backwards, which... We'll talk about the whys, what we think about it. It's almost inexplicable getting dropped this early. Um, but, yeah, that's his GC gone. This is the first ascent. There's a technical descent coming up. We know Remco's not going to catch back on if he's 10 seconds behind over the crest. And so that's his GC done all on the second to last climb. Um, yeah, I was... Surprised it was that early, Benji, to be yeah. honest. I thought last Carpeña he'd get smacked by Pagatra and Lando and co. But I was surprised. First ascent. Like, Soler's still there, man. Yeah, it's very early. And 
We saw that Soler was taking over a bit later when Micah went off the back of the group. And the only real action we had on this climb was that we noticed that well, while a few people were dropping off the back, Bahrain was moving towards the front, towards the end of the climb, just after Soler did some work. And that's a, a thing I didn't really understand, but you described it in chat very uh, properly. What was the issue with what Bahrain tried to do at the end of this climb? Well, Bilbao is the best descender in this race. He's like top five descender in the world, God mode descender. And, but he's not the best climber here, not even the best top 10 climber, probably. And Bahrain accelerating shuffled him back. And he wanted to attack on the descent. That became clear later. But with Lander and Caruso taking first two wheels, which was, I think, the order of Lander. Yeah, he was shuffled back at the top, and you, you can't move up on this descent. Like, this is bike path, narrow. You don't want to go on the edges. There's snow melting on the side or for ice or whatever. And they kind of fucked over Bilbao. And tactically for Lander, why not have Bilbao go on the descent? Pagacha's not going to risk his life following him. He, I thought he could have got like a minute. That's how technical this descent was, and then you force UAE to chase in the valley. Instead, they get to the like the lower slopes, three four percent wide road. Bilbao eventually attacks when he can move up, and he's just pacing hard while Soler chases him back, and it doesn't really achieve anything. So, yep, I don't think Bahrain's tactics are, are that great. Always, Benji, I don't think Caruso and Landon make like. Pagacha level decisions on the road. Yep, I agree on that. Today was a an example of that on that Carpeña descent. Completely agree with you on that. And the only thing that that Bilbao move could do is put some pressure on Soler. But the guy had been pacing already in the last climb. If any one of the GC riders goes on this final climb, Soler would likely be the man that is going off the front directly. And we noticed on the last Carpeña starting that Simmons was getting uh, already caught at that point, and he stopped by the side of the road to get like. Go warmers on, <laughs> which I found quite <laughs> funny. Like because they they pause the finish line and then go back up the Carpenia climb. And when the climb started, Soler was there, started pacing again, and it really took until Bahrain once again started lighting it up on that Carpenia climb to get some action in the group. But was Landa the first one to attack? Yeah. Oh no, Chicone. Chicone was like, yes, "How yes. can I make sure I drop as much as possible?" So he attacked. In the face of Fresh Lander and Pagacha. And he, listen, he used to listen to his friend Betio from last year. He's like, Chicone in race decisions? I don't know about it. Chicone, talented rider. But yeah, that was suicide. And he got popped straight away out the back when Lander accelerated. It got, gave me some Mortarolo 2015 vibes when he was ahead with Contador behind. But it was pretty short lived. Pagacha was in the wheel. He was looking comfortable, cold conditions. And eventually, whilst Lander was accelerating through a hairpin, uh, Pagacha attacked and the group capitulated. And, like, you could just see the – you could visibly see that Lander sit down and be like, fuck, and Pagacha's <laughs> gone. Like, immediately out of sight, race over. Um, who – I don't even know. I was thinking for a long time, Benji, like, whose responsibility was it to pace out of Vingegaard, Lander, mass port i don't really think anyone's yeah i agree on that they all want to try and get their position that they won and there's not a single rider in that second group that thinks to himself okay if i uh follow pogacar here i can beat him and actually gain time on him yeah. in this terreno adriatico 
I think they all know they're riding for second. And that became very clear when Land and Jonas started complaining against each other <laughs> on the climb next to each other. Jonas was complaining against Landa because Landa had been setting something up and then didn't did that attack, but then Pogacar countered him, and then Landa just stopped doing anything. But probably because he was on the limit, Jonas probably was somewhat on the limit as well to not follow that Pogacar move. But it became very clear that nobody wanted to put the tempo in it. Or was a little bit off the back, I think, at the moment that the Pogacar attack went. So yeah. I don't think he should be responsible for it. But he was one of the first riders that went to the front of the group once he caught on and actually started doing some tempo, even though I'd argue that he should be trying to hold on at this point as he was dropped a bit earlier on the climb. But perhaps he wants that gradual tempo ongoing or he wanted to drop people before we got to the descent, which is also a possibility, I think so, I'd yeah. argue. But uh, yeah, Pogacar instantly got 30, 40 seconds on the climb, even though it kept saying 12 seconds for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty clear it was a, a larger gap because the other ones were just looking at each other and they actively chose the decision not to chase. They probably could have chased a tiny bit and imploded if they wanted to, but that's not a sensible choice at that point in the race. You know that Pogacar is much better than the rest of the competition. You know you're riding for second. They are deciding to ride for second in this race. And it became very clear that the race was going to be won by one man if he kept up in the descent because, again, that shady descent was upcoming. But did we see some action in the group behind the tax again? Uh, well, oh, I do want to say Pino looked good. Pino was yeah. with Hindley in G3. I thought this is the best he's looked in quite a while. Uh, so that was really nice to see. Um, I, I wish he would go to the Giro instead of the Tour, of course. And... Henley looked okay. Gagenhart was dropped with Remco, I think. But yeah, it was. I really don't know who took too much responsibility pacing behind. It was Mars. Mars from Liverpool. He's from the school of Valverde. Um, and <laughs> Pagacha had like a minute 40 over the top. So stage over. And because his gap is so big, I was like, well, he's not going to push the descent full. Um, yep. So he should be fine. And that's what happened. Eventually. The descent was more of a drama for that chasing group where I think Jonas first and then Lander and Enric Maas crashed in the descent quite hard. Um, he's not a good descender. Neither is Lopez, by the way, who was dropped and was almost in the Remco group, I think. And Port, as we know, is not a good descender. He was so far behind Mars already in the descent that I think he missed the crash. Maybe he was in front of it. He nearly crashed. Both he and Mars were descending on the hoods the whole time. And like your boy who crashed down Rabassa last year, so never again. Um, and Port was distanced. So it was then Lander and Jonas chasing. They did relay quite well. They put 40 seconds back into Pagacha in the false flat descent. But was the stage was gone. Pardon? Are we certain that they gained time or no, do we I'm not think certain. that the motorbike? It's Italian time gaps. Yeah, but I think the motorbike was uh, not in their group and suddenly their gap popped up again. And I think that's <laughs> how it was. And therefore, the gap was not necessarily 150, but we thought it was 150 because True. the motorbike was with the wrong group. But I'm not certain about that. This is my full hat. Uh, Benji's got to stop watching. paying people on the Carpenia yeah. descent to time it um yeah but yeah benji's right italian time gaps i wouldn't stake my life on them putting too much into pagacha on the flat they were relaying well but pagacha went won the stage um yeah at a canter it was two saturdays in a row a solo move winning easily not 
the most exciting, uh, but dominant nonetheless. One minute three ahead of Jonas and Landa Port in fourth at 134. Caruso fifth, 149 with Hindley and Pino. Then Chicone with Bill Bowen, Aronsman on 223. Aronsman and Bardet, I do want to say, like, good job to those guys on DSM. They rode yeah. professional race. It kept going to the best of their abilities, and now they're sitting twelfth uh, and sixth on GC on a stage that didn't suit Aronson, and yeah. so good for him. And Bardet was actively working for Aronson here, yep. keeping him with him, and I like seeing that from a rider that is more experienced and therefore is not really having a chance at the GC here. I was already on a bit of a a gap compared to Aronson that is supporting a youngster that will need it and. In all honesty, 22 years old, Arendsman is looking really good for one-week GC races, like uh, Tour de Suisse and so forth, top five, stuff like that in the future. But he needs to step up that tiny bit when it comes to the climbing, in my opinion, to become an actual like top 10, top 10 competitor in a Grand Tour in the future. Uh, Welter, if it's weak in the back end of the top 10, shallow climbs. I think shallow climbs suit him. But yeah, it's really encouraging today, sort of. Because at the end of the day, he he still lost two twenty three. That's fucking huge. Those gaps yep. and the GC here at Tirreno in a one week race. Pagacha first one fifty two ahead of second one fifty two, and we haven't had a mountaintop finish here. Lander third on two thirty three. Then Port. Hindley, Aronsman in 6th, Caruso, Pino 8th, Bilbao 9th, 10th, Giacone is on 4.03. So, now, dominant. What if, what if Roglic is in this race? Do you think he can keep up with Pogacar on this level? On Carpena? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Not a problem. I think that he would have been able to hold on longer than any competitor here. I don't know if they would both get over to top together or whether one drops the other and if one drops the other i currently leans towards pogacar towards the top personally based on current form has pogacar ever dropped roglic on a climb that's a good question don't think he has i think but it's something for us to talk about later but yeah. i i think there's a perception now that Pagacha is so much better at climbing than Roglic. Pagacha is so much better than Roglic at many things, including consistency, including handling, including probably descending consistency. Uh, but pure WhatsApp Carpena, not sure about that. Yeah, uh, and but- like when it comes to the descending and so forth, we've seen great descents by Roglic. We've seen good descents by Pogacar. We all, we've also seen weaker descents by Pogacar. Yep. So Lombardia. I've got the feeling that comparing these riders is difficult when they're not riding against each other. Having Paris-Nice with Roglic being stronger rider by quite a bit in my personal opinion compared yep. to now here Pogacar at Tireno. I'm just very much looking forward to see what they can do at I hope Basque Country they ride together again. I know Jonas is doing it as well for Dumbo according to his post-race interview in which he also said that he was on the limit and decided not to follow Pogacar's move. Didn't think about it even of right. following that move and I think that's a good decision but you're right I think there's this perception that is oh Pogacar's unbeatable and I still need to see that because we don't see Roglic versus Pogacar a lot. I don't think we've seen Roglic in full form in the Tour de France against Pogacar ever because he had that crash two years ago. And last year he had, uh, what was it? Uh, His crash on stage three. So uh, I think that's still to be seen. And I hope that 
there's competition there because the, that could still spice up the Tour de France a lot if that rivalry is on point. Benji and I, you can tell we're trying to we're trying not to lose hope here. We we want <laughs> you know we want fierce competition, and that's the problem with Paris and Trino being on at the same time. We have like oh you know the, the better climbers in general are at Paris in terms of depth of field. Simon Yates today is better than anyone else except Pagatra at Torino, in my view. Same with Danny Martinez um, and Bernal's injured. But tomorrow's stage in Torino, sprint stage, well, it should be San Benedetto del Tronto, 160 Ks, no crosswinds allowed in Italy, and I don't even know which sprinters we have left in this race. Ackerman. Uh, <laughs> well, if his team doesn't drop him before the finish line again. Yeah. So, of course, I don't know who DNF'd. Uh, Olav Koy, Viviani, Dainese, yeah. Sagan. Yeah. Who you got? And uh, I think that. Oh, I always, I'm always leaning towards youngsters and I'm always leaning towards Koy because of that. I had the same with, uh, was it Decker last year? I had yeah. the same with Ewan when he was a young sprinter back at Bike Exchange, but. I can't keep picking Koi every single time either. So I think I'm going to go for... Uh... Ewan is the easy pick, of course. He's not here, he DNF'd. Did he DNF? I didn't even know I, that. You think he's going to do Carpena twice? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Okay. I think I'm going to go for Koi then. Why not? I'm going with Damar. I think he actually looks quite handy. Yeah. Um, I think he can have a bounce back win here. But what Benji and I wanted oh, – and by the way, Pikachu going to win GC, hot take. Um, <laughs> what Benji and I wanted to talk about was Renko Avenapol's climbing. When you look at his data from races like Brussels Cycling Classic, Druven Corps last year, and this is probably the me being not – brought up in cycling all the data i look at the watts per kilo on his state away and i'm like well if you just translate that to climbs there shouldn't be a problem at all we saw in 2020 pick on blanco in the welter burgos before his crash his climbing was quite good not spectacular sort of 5.8 for 2025 range but this year benji algarve foyer Oh, no, the, not Algarve, the one before that. Valenciana, the stage he won. Shallow gradient climb, 18, 15-minute effort, won the stage, looked great. The magma climb, Pokemon climb, the gravel one, 18 minutes steeper, got dropped by Vlasov, completely blew up and lost so much time in GC positions. Today, Carpena dropped from a group of 25 on 10%. What do you think is the reason for this? I think that it's a combination of not having ridden against Slovenians yet versus the terrain type and gradients and length of climbs. So, of course, in those earlier races that he did, he's competing against decent competition, but Karapaz in the Tour of Poland is not the level that Karapaz is in a Grand Tour. We know that. Karapaz in February looks weak. We know that every single year. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Karapaz is a bad climber. It just means that he's speaking for different races later in the year. And hopefully it succeeds this year for him because so far it hasn't been looking that amazing. But then we look at the competition he's been up against and every single time I've got like, that is not the level of informed GT competitors, I'd argue. And I think that's one thing because this is the first time he's riding against Pogacar in a stage race, if I recall correctly. So that's one aspect it is. But 
On the other hand, if you start Carpeña and drop off through, what was it, three kilometers, four kilometers? Yeah. That's too early, even for Remco Evenepoel. And we look at the types of climbs he did, Valenciana, the one with the gravel and so forth. That is a longer climb with steep gradients. And it seems like that is becoming somewhat of a weakness this year because we've seen Carpeña, also a relatively decently length climb of steep gradients, compared to the ones he's good at, which was that, first climb that he won the stage at was it El Valenciana the first stage he won um that was a climb that was a steadier gradient wasn't that long either but that steady gradient allows him to use his watts and use his CDA probably even his low um body surface against the resistance of the wind and so forth to have more speed and therefore use his time trial abilities for that aspect and I think that's where it comes in when it comes to those kind of climbs and I think that's why those climbs seem to be fit him, fitting him better than these steeper climbs. And then my question is, well, if you look at, what was it, the Lombardia that he was doing good at before he crashed out, Sormano was a very steep climb, but that came after that earlier climb that lies just before it, Paso, the Madonna del Ghisalo. And together, that's relatively long climb, and the last spot is very steep, up to 21%, but that was easier, but then again, he had puncher competition and not necessarily the climbers that we see in World Tour competition. So for every single race that he had so far, there's one thing to say where you can say, that could be it or that could be it. But it's clear that at the moment, he's not a World Tour GC rider in my eyes. As simple as that, when it comes to proper mountain stages. And I haven't seen anything that shows me that he can achieve that in the near future because he should be doing better than he did today, quite certainly. I think he's at the wrong race, for starters. He's at the Paranese parkour suit him a lot better. Quick step squad with crosswinds, one mountaintop finish, which averages 7%, and the gaps are not huge at Paranese. Again, I'm surprised they keep sending him to Italy with these extremely technical descents. Um, but anyway, he's at Torino Adriatico with Alaphilippe. It's one of a few things, in my view. First obvious one is he's heavier than people think he is. Like, if a guy is really powerful on the flat and rolling terrain and can drop big guys off his wheel on the flat and then gets dropped when it's 9-10% earlier than we expect, then he's not 62-63 kilos. That's yeah. possibility one. Possibility two uh, the watts on his power meter when he wasn't hiding it on Strava were overrating. Possibility three, but that's unlikely because to run right away from people on Taraba del Pinar, Pinar in Valencia, you still need to be doing good watts. He still won the stage. Possibility three, he has some physiological reason because of the proportions of his body or his muscular balance or whatever that he can't generate the same power on steep gradients. And the same way that Lander can't generate any power on a TT bike but is good on steep, Remco's the reverse. That's possibility three. Possibility four is he just hasn't ridden a lot of these steep long climbs against competition and gets demotivated early and he's not used to the ebbs and flow of the group. It could be a combination of all of these things that result in getting getting dropped that being said he still finished the stage um like he didn't but he finished it four minutes down 
So after Pozzavivo. So it's it's never just losing a bit of time, Benji. It's almost like a complete collapse. Same in Valencia. He lost so much time in 800 metres. So I don't know what it is. Maybe he didn't want to take risk on the descent, which I kind of agree with. I think that's probably part of it, but I also think there's the aspect that every single time he drops and every single time that something happens to him, there's this, I don't know if it's perseverance or his response to adversity, where I just isn't what a Pogacar would do, for example. When something goes wrong to Pogacar, he picks it back up and he starts hunting after it. And a simple example is that part that we spoke about in our previous podcast where Adam Cravenpool missed that corner, the response time to something going bad, stuff like that, those small things. And I think that partially also is one of the reasons that sometimes he's reacting a bit impulsively if something goes badly. And that could lead to worse results. And I think today it's more of a combination of those ascents like you're mentioning, and perhaps that it's not going the right way. And he's not necessarily the kind of rider where I'm saying, if it doesn't go the right way in the race, I'm going to go absolutely destroy the rest of this climb, even if it costs me every little bit of my energy to try and make sure I don't lose four minutes on the stage. I think there's a there's a combination in all of that. And it, it's not that he's some kind of weak rider, but I think that we start to notice certain patterns when it comes to that. I still think the schedule that Quickstep sent him to is is a Wrong. curious schedule. Um, I'm always, the last couple of years, been surprised by it. I'm not sure Quickstep are a very good team, very good experience in classics, in hunting stages. Do Quickstep know how to prepare a 22-year-old GC contender to no. be 25, 26 and we don't so last year yep they sent a guy that came from an injury instantly to the Giro like that was destined to go wrong at some point we said it before the Giro we said it during the Giro and we noticed it happened towards the end of the Giro and that's unfortunate because that not only ruins that Giro but gives the guy the feeling that he probably didn't have a great Giro while coming back from an injury that was a decent bloody result in my opinion even if he DNFs in the third week Becoming so decent in the first two weeks is a good performance. And I think they made a mistake there. I think they made quite a bit of mistakes when it comes to his schedule and when choosing races that fit him as a rider. But I am curious to see what he does at the Hill Classics, though, because I bet you that he's going to attack on Laredout, on Liège-Basson-Liège, like Carapaz did last year, or somewhere where Carapaz attacked last year, and will be that kind of rider where... He goes early in LBL while Alaphilippe is the man that stays behind and tries to take it on the final hills. Again, I'm surprised he didn't do Paranis. I see he's doing Swiss. That should really suit him later yeah. in the year. Uh, so usually has like three TTs in seven stages. Uh, but yeah, we'll wait to see what happens with Remco. Maybe there's an explanation for it. Maybe he's unwell. The team and he haven't really said, but Lombardia last year olympics road race last year algarve steep climb no valenciana steep climb keep getting confused and today the steep climbs about 15 minutes plus appear to be his kryptonite but that's all from Tirreno adriatico and paranese today thanks 
as always, to Zwift for supporting the podcast. We will see you with the recap of the last stages of Torino and Paranese tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 